0: Welcome to Your Wealth, Your Legacy, a podcast by Prairie Wood Wealth Management, where we cover the latest in investment, tax, estate, and charitable giving strategies to help you keep more of what you make, make more with what you have, and create a legacy that lasts beyond your lifetime. Thanks for listening. We're glad you're here. Here are your hosts, Nathan Anderson and Steve Nelson.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 22nd episode of Your Wealth, Your Legacy. I'm your host, Nathan Anderson, here with my co-host, Steve Nelson. Welcome, Steve. Yeah, welcome. Great to be here today. So I thought the topic of this podcast, we could focus on ultimately what we've seen over time as clients have built wealth and what it takes for them to build the wealth that they have. I think so frequently individuals see other people who are wealthy and maybe they've received a large inheritance or sold a business. And a lot of times I think that's the perception that a lot of people have as how wealth is accumulated. And so when we're working with clients, a lot of times, whether it's you know, them themselves as they're still accumulating, or even for the next generation wanting to teach their kids, we often get a question, which is, how do you teach others to build wealth? And what is the actual process that most people go through to accumulate what they have?
2: Yeah. And you know, I think that's very important because I think there's a big misperception on what wealth is. You know, Most people think, oh, I see my neighbor driving a fancy car or having a nice home and they equate that to wealth. Or they're reading in the paper about somebody that's won the lottery or received a big inheritance. And typically what we see is the exact opposite. It's people living below their means. They spend less than they make and they really invest the difference over the long term.
1: And I think on, on that point, one of the interesting things from my perspective is some of our wealthiest clients, when they come in, if you were to try to guess their net worth by what they drive or or what they wear, you would be wildly
2: off on, on who our most successful clients are. Yeah, I really think the most important thing is forced savings. And we've seen a lot of clients or small business owners or individuals doing it through just forced savings in their 401ks or IRAs over many, many years.
1: And when you say forced savings, the way that you think of that is, they basically are, they put it on automatic cruise control. They're saving every every pay period on a consistent basis. And over time, that makes a huge difference versus somebody who chooses to save on one-off occasions. And oftentimes, you know,
2: there might be a long period of
1: time between when they save and when they save again.
2: Yeah, absolutely right. And, you know, it was interesting. Ramsey Solutions does this national study of millionaires where they surveyed 10,000 millionaires to find out You know, how they acquired their wealth and the results of that research showed that eight out of 10 millionaires, so 80% invested in their company's 401k plans. Three out of four millionaires said that consistent investing over long periods of time was the reason for their success.
1: What they also found that I thought was interesting was most did not receive any inheritance from parents or family members. And I think a lot of people expect that if you have a lot of money, it's very frequent that, that that was passed down to you
2: but um, the research in this in this case shows differently and it wasn't that the participants or the millionaires were earning high incomes you know on average they came from regular professions like engineering accounting and teaching so
1: as we think about what leads to significant wealth over time it's not the income that you earn it's ultimately the amount that you save and how that grows as you invest it one thing that's interesting to think about is, is the compound growth and how, how important it is to allow the market or your investments to do what they do over time. When you look at somebody like Warren Buffett, who is extremely wealthy, and you know you look at him now and he's you know, in, his, in his 90s worth over $100 billion, and he's even given a significant amount of money away, it's easy to think that he was close to that wealthy for his entire lifetime, but that's not true. From age 60 to where he is now, he's accumulated almost 95% of his wealth in that period of time. And the reason is, is compounding. So obviously, as you invest over time, that growth is exponential, meaning that the vast majority of it comes later on. So often it seems so slow for decades until at the end, you start to see really the benefits of compounding as it grows much more quickly.
2: Well, there's a reason why his biography is titled The Snowball. Exactly it's
1: basically as that snowball turns over
2: one extra time, it accumulates
1: significantly more snow and it continues doing that. You know Albert Einstein said compound growth is the eighth wonder of the world. So to think through this, I think it's important to understand what compound growth does. And so there's a rule that most people learn in, in finance school. it's called the rule of 72. and ultimately what it means is is if you divide 72 by an interest rate, it'll tell you how quickly your money will double. So for example, if you divide 72 by a 10% interest rate, um, your money will double approximately every seven years. Um, it's actually 10.3% that will double every seven years. And so if you think of over a 35-year investment career, so let's say you start investing at age 30, you, know, you won't quit investing at age 65, but that might be your working career. Um, the money that you invest at age 30, if you double it every seven years, will double five times. So for example, if you start out with $1, the first doubling will turn into $2. The second doubling will be $4. The next one will be $8. The next one will be $16. And the final one will be $32. So you can turn $1 into $32 over the course of 35 years if you earn 10.3%.
2: Yeah. And the key in that scenario is the earlier you start, the more time your money doubles. So going back to Warren Buffett, he's had a a 70 plus year runway. And so his net worth has been able to double many, many, many times over.
1: And if you think about it, you know, ultimately it's important to start as early as you can. Let's say you started age 37 versus age 30. So your money doubles only four times versus five times in the example that we gave. Ultimately, it's that last doubling event that you lose. And that's the most valuable event.
2: Yeah. I think it's human nature to think, oh, I'm just missing out on, you know, a 10% return on it, but it's really a 10% return, not on the money you're investing. It's the 10% return on the money it's going to grow to. Exactly.
1: So when we think about our clients that have developed and grown significant wealth, you know, there's a couple of things that are important to, to think about. Number one, compounding and that compound growth is the key to building wealth. But in order to achieve the compound growth, you have to save significantly. You know, a lot of our clients have saved very consistently in their 401k accounts. There's clients that we have that have um, very significant balances and have accumulated wealth primarily through their employer retirement plans. And there's a lot of people that ask us, is it really reasonable to accumulate wealth just by investing in your 401k? So if you think of an example, let's just assume you're able to save $15,000 per year. If your employee matches your contributions, you know, you might be able to contribute less than $15,000 and still add $15,000 per year to your your 401k with that match. But if you would achieve an 8% annualized return on $15,000 of annual contributions, your 401k account would reach $1 million within 24 years, $2 million within 32 years, $3 million in 37 years, $4 million in 41 years. And if you happen to start saving when you were very young, let's say you were 21 years old and 44 years later when you're 65, if you achieved an 8% return on $15,000 annual contributions, you'd have a 401k account that's worth $5 million. So for people that start early and contribute heavily, creating and growing significant wealth in an employer retirement plan is, is very possible.
2: Yeah, and let's compare that to somebody that only saves $5,000 a year and achieves even a higher return of
1: 10%. So in this example, the contributions are going down but the return is going up. So the interesting thing to see is can you compensate for
2: lower contributions with higher returns? So in the first example, when you reached the $1 million dollars, it was 24 years later. The second example, the growth of $5,000 at a higher interest rate of 10% only exceeded 1 million dollars 32 years later, so an extra eight years. And ultimately, if you look at
1: that person who started saving at age 21, 44 years later when they're 65 years old, the person who only saved 5000 a year and achieved the 10% return only had $3 million in their 401k versus the individual who had saved the 15000 and only earned 8%, they had $5 million in their 401k. So ultimately, what this is showing is your behavior as an investor is far more important. How much can you save is more important than the investment returns that you achieve.
2: You know, I think it's also important to remember that returns from investing in the stock market are not linear. And what that means is you don't get the 8 or 10% per year each and every year. There's going to be years where you're down, years where you're up a lot more than that. And what happens is the average turns out to be the 8 or the 10% return. But what often happens, and this is key to getting successful results, is that you stick with your plan. So it's much more important that you stay in the market than try to you know, time the market, meaning jump in or out. The problem with trying to time the market is you have to be right twice. And what the data shows is that's extremely hard to do. You know, if we take the last 20 years, the S&P 500 returned about 10% a year. If you just missed the top 10 performing days over that 20-year period, your returns would have been about half. And you miss a few more days, and all of a sudden you turned a 10% return into a negative number.
1: Exactly. And when you think about individuals that try to time the market and
2: jump in and out,
1: oftentimes it's you know those very difficult days when the market's down a lot when they bail and often those best days come shortly after those difficult days. So it's very possible to miss the best days by trying to time the market and reacting to emotional responses when the markets are turbulent. The other thing that's interesting is when you look at a period of time going back to the mid-60s, there's been about nine bear markets or down markets and about eight bull markets or up markets. And the interesting thing is the average bear market's lasted for about 14 months, where the average bull market or good market has lasted for about 70 months. And the average bull market has returned about 209%, whereas the average bear market has lost about 37%. Now, we don't put a lot of stock in the amount of time that each market tends to last or the amount of percentage return you know, that each bull market or bear market um, results in. But the key point is it's far more important to be in the market when it's going up than to avoid it when it's going down given the average bull market returns about 209% versus the 37% decline of the average bear market. You're much more likely to be successful if you ride out all the periods than trying to guess when the next bull market is gonna start or when it's gonna end. Um, That's a game that, like Steve said, is impossible to win consistently. So Steve, I think the next step would be to talk about what does this mean for the average investor? What are some practical takeaways that individuals can implement to ultimately increase the odds and, and give themselves the chance of accumulating wealth long-term?
2: Yeah, I'd say first and foremost, I'd say begin investing early. The earlier, the better. And
1: if you're somebody who hasn't started you know, as early as you would like, now is still the best time. The, the more time
2: that you have, the better, um, regardless of when that is. That actually brings up an interesting thing. I, I went to a nursery this last weekend, and there was a sign that said, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is today. Exactly. You know, the other thing is, I would prioritize saving early on. You know, this is where those automatic deductions to your 401k plan can be extremely helpful.
1: And I think if you think back to our examples, ultimately in the early years, Saving heavily is far more important than very good investment returns because, you know, when you have very little in your portfolio, contributing more heavily will do more than earning better returns. Down the road, investment returns are more impactful than they are at the beginning, but ultimately you can't necessarily control those. What you can control is how much you save, how you live,
2: which ultimately will have a huge impact on the wealth that you build long-term. Yeah. Establishing the habit is the key. Once you get into that habit of living less than you make and saving the difference, it's hard to stop that.
1: Most of our clients that are, are very wealthy continue to live on far less than they, than they could because they've just ingrained that in their lifestyle. The other thing that I would mention is make sure that you take advantage of employer matching contributions. If your employer is willing to match a portion of your contributions to your 401k account, you should make at least that much of a contribution
2: and take advantage of basically that free money that your employer is offering you. And then you you want to stick with the plan. So I think the biggest challenge is, is the temptation to bail on an investment when it's down or your plan seems to be too slow or when market fluctuates. But that's the key is to stick with it and know that over long periods of time, it's going to work.
1: And I think what I see most frequently with plans that ultimately lead to success is People see others who are wealthy and it looks flashy and it it looks exciting, but ultimately the process to accumulate wealth is often slow and boring. So it's often the temptation to do something or do something different that is one of the biggest risks versus just sticking with the plan, saving consistently and following that for, for many, many years. The other thing that I would say, Steve, is given the value of saving early and how that can lead to you know, significant wealth long-term, one thing parents can think about is helping their kids get started. So let's say your kid recently has taken a summer job and so they have some earned income, they would qualify to make contributions to a Roth IRA. And maybe the parents want to help their child make some of those contributions. Um, they certainly can step in and,
2: and help make those contributions and kickstart that process and get their kids off to a good start. Yeah. Kids obviously need the earned income. But there's no requirement that the child needs to make the contribution that can come from the parent.
1: Exactly. So I think we can wrap up this episode. You know, often what we see is individuals believe that achieving wealth is out of their control. But ultimately the truth is that by committing to saving and investing consistently over time, building wealth is a very attainable goal for most families. It does take commitment and typically it's not as exciting as most people expect. Most people don't win the lottery. Most people don't receive a large inheritance, but the good news is that's not necessary. Compound growth of your investments is the key. And the only way to achieve compound growth is to save aggressively. You have to have money saved so that compound growth can do its work. For those who have been successful in building their wealth, typically, they eventually start to enter the next phase where they're focused on how to tax efficiently, remove balances from their retirement accounts, and pass their financial knowledge and assets to the next generation. So for those who are interested in an approach to wealth management where a family CFO can help determine a coordinated and tax-efficient way to manage your assets, we'd be happy to connect to see if what we do might be a good fit for your family. And if you're interested in learning more about building wealth or connecting with our team, you can check out the resources on our website at pw-wm.com. That's all we have for today. Until next time, thanks for listening.
0: Thank you for listening to Your Wealth, Your Legacy by Prairiewood Wealth Management. If you have comments, questions, or would like to learn more about working with Prairie Wood Wealth Management, we would love to hear from you. Please visit us at our website, pw-wm.com or email us at service at pw-wm.com. If you find our podcast helpful, leave us a review and share it so others can find us as well. Thanks for listening as we continue our quest to help others keep more of what they make, make more with what they have, and create a legacy that will last beyond their lifetime. The information discussed on this podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and does not represent investment, tax, or legal advice. Opinions expressed are those of Prairiewood Wealth Management and are subject to change not guaranteed and should not be considered recommendations to buy or sell any security. While past performance of market results may be discussed, It does not provide any assurance of future performance. The information presented herein has been obtained from sources deemed reliable but is not guaranteed.